Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In the summer of 1993, Leanne and I were on our honeymoon, uh, and we had a chance to uh, visit Washington, D.C. All the things to do in Washington, D.C., I was most intrigued by the Jewish Holocaust Memorial. I had been reading uh, just a little of Adolf Hitler's worldview and the ideology that drove uh, the Nazis to commit the crimes against humanity that they did. So I wanted to make the Holocaust Memorial one of the first stops uh, while we were there. Well, the memorial was uh, one of the most uh, memorable things that I've ever seen. It has lasting impressions on anyone that goes through it. It included the work of Joseph Mingle, who was involved in the attempt to create this master race. Mingle, of course, used what he considered to be inferior races uh, to conduct medical experiments upon in order to build this uh, superhuman race. In the process, uh, many people were maimed, disfigured, and killed. After Leanne and I left, we were reflecting on our time in the memorial. And I don't remember which one of us brought it up, but we both looked at each other and remembered that there was utter silence as we walked through the memorial. Almost no one said anything. Now, if you've been, you know that the memorial is not a short tour. It takes several hours to walk through it. Yet, it was completely silent. It wasn't so much the memorial itself that left a lasting impression, but it was the behavior of those visitors who were inside the memorial. What was it that caused people to adopt this mood of reverence, this silence, as we walked through this memorial? Well, the Christian worldview just screamed out the answer at me. The image of God in these people had been defaced and defamed. Beginning with Genesis chapter 1, And looking on into the New Testament, there are three truths that we glean from a right understanding of what it means to be made in the image of God. First, because we are made in the image of God, we possess great dignity and value. Second, 
Sanctification, the process of sanctification, is the renewal of the ruined image of God in us. And finally, the image of God changes the way that we relate to those around us. Now, the context for chapter 1, if you remember, is, of course, the creation of the world. God speaks, and the world comes into existence. The first portion of the chapter involves his creation of the heavens and the earth, his his creation of plant and animal life. And when we come to verses 26, we come to the crown and the climax of his creation, humanity. Now, there has been a lot of uh, debate over the years about what it means for us to be made in the image of God. Some have said we locate the image in our rational faculties, our ability to think and to reason. Others have said we ought to locate the image or the likeness of God in our emotions. We feel. We love. Still others have located in our moral nature. We understand the difference between right and wrong. Whatever it really means to be made in the image of God, it certainly means this. We possess something that the rest of the creation does not. God's image. We were created to be His image bearers. Now, in the culture of the the Old Testament, in the ancient Near Eastern culture, this would have been a shocking truth. Because in their world, when Moses proclaimed this to them, only the king was made in the image of God. We can almost hear ancient Israel saying, what do you mean? I'm made in the image of God? I thought that was a privilege that was reserved for the king only. It would have meant to them, not only is the king valuable, not only does the king have great dignity and worth, but we do too. Because God has deigned to give His image to us. It would have meant that they're royalty. The Bible always critiques the culture that we live in. It did so in their time, and it does so in our time as well. Think about what modern atheism has told us. What is humanity? We're nothing special. We're merely the products of time plus matter plus chance. We're the result of natural processes. There's really nothing special or significant about humanity. There's no reason to believe, as my Old Testament professor said, that we're anything more than lucky mud. But you see, God's Word says that we are more than time plus matter plus chance. We share His image. This truth came home to me uh, when I saw the movie Titanic. Uh, Perhaps a number of you have seen it by now, and if, if you're between the ages of 13 and 17 and you're female, you've probably contributed to making Leonardo DiCaprio a multimillionaire. But if you remember, the ship was divided according to class. 
the wealthy, more affluent classes were on the top of the ship, and the less affluent um, and the lower classes were on the lower decks. And when the ship hit the iceberg, they realized there were not enough lifeboats for everyone. And so those who were wealthier, excuse me, those who were wealthier and more affluent had the first opportunity to get in the lifeboat. Those who were less affluent were actually locked down in the ship and prevented from having the opportunity to get to the lifeboat. Well, it, it just came blasting out at you. That culture valued position and prestige. But Genesis says that it is not based on position and prestige. What makes us valuable, what gives us dignity and worth, is that we have been made in the image of God. Look at verse 28 for a moment. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Adam was given the high privilege of being made in God's image. Moreover, he was given vice-regency over the creation. Adam, I've given you my image. Now rule over the creation as my representative here on earth. Of course, as we went through the catechism this morning, we know that Adam did not take his responsibility seriously. In fact, we only have to move to the third chapter of Genesis to realize that Adam fell, and we fell in him. When Adam sinned, it ruined, corrupted, and broke the image of God in man. Instead of reflecting God's image, he rebelled, and we rebelled with him, and plunged us into sin. You see, Adam eating the fruit was not just a petty offense. It constituted cosmic rebellion. And as a result of our sin, the Bible tells us that we're guilty before God. We have been alienated from the one in whose image that we have been made. Indeed, the Bible says that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We are, after the fall, what Francis Schaeffer called a glorious ruin. A glorious ruin. The image is somewhat there, but it's broken, corrupted, and polluted. And God cannot look upon it. Because we are made in the image of God, we possess great dignity and value. But the fall ruined our images. For God's purposes with His image bearers to continue, we had to have a new Adam. There had to be one who could rightly reflect the image of God. One who could do what the first Adam failed to do. This is Jesus, the second Adam. You see, Jesus' finished work on the cross is the basis for the recovery and the restoration of the ruined images of God. Would you look with me at Colossians 
Colossians 1.15. Philippians, Colossians. Beginning with verse 14, speaking of Jesus, speaking of the Christ, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, and 15, and he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. According to Colossians 1, Jesus is the perfect image of God. Why did Jesus have to become human? It would take a human to save a human. You see, when we affirm that Jesus is fully God and fully man, that's not theological jargon for the specialists. That has profound implications for our redemption in Christ. Jesus' atonement is the basis for our righteousness before our Maker, in whose image we have been made. He kept the law perfectly and did what Adam could not do. The process, then, of sanctification is the renewal and the restoration of what we were originally designed to be, God's image bearers. Listen to how the Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it. We didn't read this one this morning, but it just sums it up so well. What is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace by which our whole person is made new in the image of God, after the image of God. What is true spirituality? What is sanctification? If you don't understand this, you will always be confused about what sanctification is involved, what's involved. Sanctification is the restoration of the broken image of God in us. Let me see if I can show you this. We can't survey all that the Bible says about Christ's likeness and sanctification, but just look at a few passages with me. We're already in Colossians. Look in the third chapter of Colossians. Colossians 3, 9, and 10. It is so critical to understand this. Colossians 3, 9, and 10. Listen to this. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Look also at Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Hang on if you're not quite sure where I'm going with this. <clears throat> Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. <clears throat> that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and verse 24 is the key, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Now, in some of your Bibles, likeness of or image of may be italicized. 
That means that it's actually not in the Greek itself, but the Greek implies it. So it's very safe for the translation to say that. You see, sanctification is conformity to what we were originally designed to be. To be like Christ is to be truly human because that is what we were created to be. We're told that if you want to be human, if you want to be free, if you want to experience life, then throw off the shackles of the Bible. Throw off its code of morality and ethics and be free. You see, the Bible keeps us from being what we're naturally supposed to be. The Bible's an archaic book that doesn't have any relevance to who I naturally am. One female singer put it like this, If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. You see, it's exactly the opposite. To be truly human, to be truly free, is to be what we were designed to be. His image bearers. Sanctification is not a denial of being human. It's an affirmation of our truest identity. We are most human when we truly reflect what God intended for us. That is when we are most human. You see, we're made to be image bearers according to Genesis 1. And we end up acting like image destroyers. Now, I can't take quote for this. I can't take credit for this next section, so I want to be sure to tell you these are J.I. Packer's words and not mine. But they are profound. Listen to what Packer has to say about being an image bearer. Our souls were meant to run on the practice of worship, law-keeping, truthfulness, honesty, self-control, and service to God and others. If we abandon these practices, we progressively destroy our own souls. Our conscience atrophies and our sense of shame dries up. Truthfulness, loyalty, honesty disintegrate. In sum, we are dehumanized. Bitterness, anger, lust, you substitute your struggle in sanctification, does not free you, does not free me to be human. It brutalizes us. And it tears our souls to pieces because that was not the original intention for us. To be spiritual is to be human in the truest sense of the word. Third, this doctrine of the image of God also shapes the way that we view others. It shapes the way that we view others. One last passage, James 3, 8 through 10. Please turn with me there. It is imperative to see this. James 3, 8 through 10. (coughs) 
James 3, 8 through 10. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. You see, the way that we relate to one another either enhances the beauty of the image of Christ in the other person or it defames their image. When I love my wife as Christ loved the church, which is not nearly as often as I should, I enhance the beauty of the image of Christ in her. And when I sin against her, when I treat her improperly, then I defame the beauty of the image of Christ in her. In effect, I dehumanize her. And I make her less than what she has been created and redeemed to be. The royal image of God. The royal images of Christ. Or... When I'm driving down the street um, and someone cuts me off and I respond with, you pig, you jerk. And my wife, if she's in the car with me, lovingly says, honey, he's not a pig. He's not a jerk. He is the dignified image of God. So I slink down behind the wheel and say, you're right. You're right. You see, the image of God in humanity demands that we still treat the unbeliever with dignity and respect. Jean-Paul Sartre um, was a French atheist philosopher. And this is what he had to say about other people. Hell is other people. Well, bracket that comment for a moment and listen to what John Calvin had to say about the unbeliever. Calvin, thought to be cold and heartless, in fact, is actually a very warm writer. Listen to Calvin and contrast his view of what it means to relate to the image of God with John Paul Sartre's. Here's Calvin. We are not to consider that men merit of themselves anything, but to look upon the image of God in all men, to which we owe all honor and love. Therefore, whatever man you meet who needs your aid, you have no reason to refuse to help him. If you say, he's contemptible and worthless... Remember that the Lord shows him to be the one to whom he deigned to give the beauty of his image. If you say that he does not even deserve your least effort, but the image of God recommends him to you and is worthy of giving yourself and all your possessions. How utterly divergent these two views are. Sartre with his atheistic presuppositions about humanity and John Calvin with his view that we were originally the image bearers of God grounded 
in the first chapter of Genesis and the rest of Scripture. You see, we don't save people to make them valuable. We save them because they are valuable. We save them because they are valuable already. They are God's image bearers. If we really hold to the gospel of grace, then we cannot help but look at the unbeliever and say, There, but for the grace of God, go I. It means also that we must confront the unbeliever with their sin and their rebellion against their Maker. I'll close with this last illustration. Uh, a few years ago, I saw an interview um, with a woman who had assisted Jack Kevorkian uh, with some of his uh, suicides or uh, killings of people. This woman was a physician who had assisted him. And the interviewer on ABC asked her, what made you help in these suicides? What made you assist Kevorkian? Well, I'm glued at that point. I'm leaning forward because I cannot wait to find out what this woman is going to say to this. Her entire reason, her entire rationale for why she had helped Kevorkian help these people commit suicide, kill themselves, was this. She said, I am committed at all costs to preserving the autonomy of the individual. Well, I just stepped back and I thought to myself, you know, that would be fine if we really were autonomous individuals. But we're not. We are the dignified images of God, created with great worth and value. Created for God, created by God, to shape His world and our purpose involved in it. In Jesus' name, thank you. Amen.